Hey, have you ever got really bad advice from somebody? All the time, right? So I remember a time in my life I got some bad relational advice. I was fifth grader and was in a circle of other fifth graders. We were on MacArthur Avenue and there was a, an older kid who was holding court on girls and he had our rapt attention. Well, we had all of our bike tires pointing into the center of the circle and, and what made him so compelling was he was older. He was in seventh grade and he could almost shave. So he was telling us about girls and we weren't even interested in girls yet, but we thought we better write this down for later. So we're listening and he's saying, here's how you treat a girl to get her to pay attention to you. Here's what you say and chicks dig it when you give them this look and we're just soaking it in and I'm just going, wow, this is amazing. I thank the Lord. I didn't act on any of the things he told us that day. <laughs> it was awful. I asked my cousin later who was also a girl and older than him and I said, does this work? She said, don't ever do that. <laughs> Bad relationship advice. Have you ever got bad fitness advice? Anybody maybe trying to treat your body better this new year and you're looking for input on what do I do? How do I eat? Jeff Hosey and, and uh, Jolene are just into keto. I don't know if you're aware of what that is. This is kind of a diet or uh, just an eating plan, which almost sounds to me too good to be true. If I'm listening to Jeff and I'm understanding him correctly, you can eat bacon and cheddar cheese all you want, and you will lose weight. And he looks amazing, so I, I think it works. But I'm afraid to do keto because I'm afraid that there's a catch in the middle of it. Once you've been doing it for about a month or two, they tell you, okay, now you can only eat kale and bean sprouts. <laughs> Which here's a, a little bit of advice for you. I don't know if you know this, but if you stir coconut oil in your kale, it makes it easier to scrape it into the trash. So, <laughs> there you go. I was, I really, I asked my daughter, Abby, for some advice. I said, I'm trying to give some good advice, bad advice today. And she said, here's one for you. Turn your binoculars around. See, now the tigers are smaller and further away. Yeah, be smart to survive in the rainforest. That's bad advice, Abby. There is, I don't know if you've seen this before, a few years ago this came out. It's a meme called the malicious advice mallard. Really things that you should never do. Like he says, don't use your turn signal. It's no one's business where you're going. And there's more like this. Let me just give you a few other things that you, this really bad advice. You got a paper cut? Oh, squeeze some lemon juice into it. It'll feel better immediately. How about this one? Tell her to calm down. She'll immediately realize she was overreacting. <laughs> Don't do that. If some of you are younger, you're thinking, oh, does that work? No, no, don't. It's a voice of experience here. Are you having trouble scooping your ice cream? Heat the spoon up in the microwave. That's a good idea. Oh, this one. Are your lips dry and chapped on a cold, windy day? Try licking them. Don't do that. Yeah, again, the voice of experience goes, oh, don't do that. How about this one? Are you frying up some bacon? Take off your shirt so you don't get it splattered with grease. You see that guy robbing a store with a gun? Looks like someone could use a hug. <laughs> Are you not sure why someone's crying? Say, it's because of the haircut. <laughs> Ooh, a little too close to home. How about this one? For all you students, this is really good. This is a pro tip. College, high school, junior high. If you put quotation marks around the entire essay and then cite your source at the end, it's not plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> See, so come back to me and tell me how that worked. If you get the le letter F in red, that you did it right. <laughs> how about this one? This is on, on topic for today, what we're talking about. Are you struggling to keep your finances in check? Hey, get a credit card to relieve the pressure. <laughs> That'll work. Man, what I found is bad financial advice abounds these days. I remember when I was younger, 
high school, college, getting into adulthood, there were a lot of adults in my life who wanted to share financial wisdom with me. Some of it was things that they had done wrong and they said, don't do this, or oh, you need to do that. And I look back on some of the advice that people told me. I know they were trying to get me onto the right pathway or you know, they just wanted to spare me for some of the pain. Some of the stuff that I picked up from other people, I was just listening to the grown-ups talk and I just heard them saying, oh, you should never pay this until they send this. And, and I look back on some of that and I go, wow, that was really good advice. I wish I could go back to my younger self and say, listen to this. You need to do this. You'll be so happy if you listen to them. There's some advice that people were giving that I think, oh, Brian, don't listen to that. That's awful. I know that's what they're doing, and look how their life turned out. Don't do that. Do you ever wish that you could do, go back and tell yourself, your younger self, some things like that? Like you would go back a few years and say, buy Apple. Buy stock in Apple. It's, it's going to work out well for you. There's, you know, live and learn. And for me, financial stuff, I've made some mistakes myself. So some of the things we're talking about today, it's just the voice of personal experience here. But that's really what this series has been all about. We've been in Proverbs, and it's about making better life choices. It's about seeking God's wisdom so that, you know, maybe what, what's done is done. Can't change that. It's in the rearview mirror. But from this point forward, can we live a better life, make better decisions, have a fewer regrets based on what we learn from God? Because he wants us to live a good life. He's, he's given us the tools. He created life. He knows how to live it. And so when we have been doing this in this series is we've been going through the book of Proverbs. And it was written by King Solomon of Israel. It's a collection of his wise sayings and teachings. And you might be thinking, well, why in the world would we care what King Solomon of Israel 3,000 years ago has to say about anything. Well, he has a lot of wise things to say on a couple of levels, especially pertinent to our topic today in the area of finances. You need to know this if you don't. Solomon was, in his time, the wealthiest person in the world, bar none. People came from all over the world to see the wisdom and the wealth of Solomon. He endeavored, he had just all this wisdom, and he had all this money, and he had all these people. He built some amazing things. We're still finding some of them with archaeology, just, you know, public works and fountains and horse stables, and just palaces. He was just an incredibly wealthy guy. So he knew a little bit of something, something about finances, I would say. The other reason that he's in the Bible is because he is arguably the wisest, most intelligent person who ever lived on planet Earth until Jesus got here. He just had lots of, he's like Ben Franklin times 10. And, and people came from all over the world to listen to the wisdom of Solomon because no one could get to the heart of a matter. No one was so insightful like he was. And so people came from all over to seek that out. And so what we have here is the wisdom of God through Solomon. And, and when he talked about financial things, there's some interesting things here that we can take lessons from. And I'm really glad you came today. I don't know, you might be going, I came to church on finance days. <laughs> Trust me, I actually am excited to talk with you about this because I found there are a few things in life, quite like finances, that can have an impact on your life, positive or negative. And you know what I'm talking about. What's one of the biggest things that people fight about in their relationships and in their marriages? Money, right? It's one of the top two. And what is the thing that keeps a lot of people up at night with anxiety and stress? money. How do I manage what I've got? How do I get more? Why don't I have enough? This has such a, a bearing on our ability to do things in life that we want to do. How many times have you thought, I would love to do that, but I can't? It restricts our choices. There are times that maybe you even feel compelled. I, my heart goes out to someone. I would love to be generous, love to help them, but I can't because right now I'm just strapped. And so even you might push back against it a little bit, but I believe finances can even impact your relationship with God. 
so many things that are tied to this, if you can get this right. I'm convinced if we'll just lean into the wisdom of God as regarding to our, our stuff and our finances, that it can be a game changer for us. And what I, when I think about this, I think if we'll take this seriously, you can literally say this Sunday was the day that things got better. And it's, I can't say that about a whole lot of areas of life, but this is one of those things when you start making some changes, you can have a better week. You, you can say it never got as bad as it was that day. Like it can change so quickly, especially when you're getting God involved in this area of your life and you start aligning your practices around what God says is wise. And that in turn, when you change your financial world, can spill out into your marriage. It can spill out into your personal health. It can spill out and be a legacy thing as you bless your family and the people around you. So this has, has such power. And I, I pray for you guys all the time. I want you to know that. I pray every week for you. I pray, of course, for your physical well-being. And if you're sick and it's on the prayer list, I pray for you. Uh, if, I pray for your spiritual well-being. I pray for your families. And I do pray for your finances because this is so important. So many good things that maybe God would want to do through you. If you can get a hold of this and get this on track, they can change so many other things in your life. So let's go ahead and think about what it maybe would be like this morning. Allow yourself to dream a little bit that if this has been an area of anxiety for you, that it could be something that you feel hopeful about. That it doesn't have to be like it has been however long it's been like that, that it could be different. And what I found here, at least for me and probably for people all of us could say, yeah, this is kind of true. There really are two problems behind our financial issues. Number one, it just comes down to what Proverbs would call foolishness. We've adopted poor financial habits and practices. We're just not really handling things well. And then the other side of that is we failed to adopt really good, healthy, wise financial habits and practices. And so the trick here, it sounds simple, and it's, it really is kind of simple, it's just difficult to do, is to switch that, to say no to some financial habits that are just really not helping you, and to start embracing some things that, that wise people, who oftentimes are also wealthy, have embraced. And so the first thing I would just, as we go through Proverbs, we're going to look at several Proverbs, go ahead and flip through them in your Bible if you'd like to. The first thing I would just tell you, this is just very basic, you shouldn't try to advance yourself through financial dishonesty through fiscal dishonesty. Why? I know this seems real simple, but let's just go ahead and get it on the record. Stealing is wrong. Can we all agree to that? I, not everybody would, but let's just go ahead and think about this. The Ten Commandments, is that one of the Ten Commandments? Go ahead and say, yes, it is. <laughs> Thou shalt not steal. So the bottom line is God says, I want you to respect other people's stuff. So as a strategy for improving your finances, you probably don't want to use the five-finger discount. You don't want to take stuff that doesn't belong to you. But there's another reason behind this. It's not just that it's wrong that God says, don't do this. It's just not very helpful. It's not going to work out for you in the end. Look at this. This is Proverbs 10.2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. What's it saying? It's just a poor strategy to take other people's stuff to benefit yourself because you, you may get away with it momentarily, but you will get caught eventually, and it's going to come back to bite you. I, I, there's a great book that's published every few years by the federal government. I don't know if you know this exists or not. The U.S. Department of uh, Defense publishes a book called The Encyclopedia of Ethical Failure. What a great book. Anybody read that before you go to bed at night? This, the federal government publishes this as a training tool. They use it with all their federal employees every few years as a training to say, here's the rules. 
And here's why we don't do the things that we tell you that is wrong. We're gonna give you some real world examples. We're gonna put names to this. They give real stories of people who are federal employees who do things that they shouldn't. One of them, is, this kills me, this guy drove up to his office at night after everybody was gone, loaded the van up with all the office equipment, all the copiers, all the, the computer stuff, everything. He immediately went home and had a garage sale with all this stuff, which made him very easy to track down. They just started looking for the people in the office. They go to his garage sale. The guy hadn't even peeled off the stickers that say property of U.S. government yet. Uh, I think this is mine. Another example they gave, there were two executives in the federal government who, as it, it just they emerged, a pattern emerged, these guys haven't taken vacation for years, but they've taken an extraordinary amount of religious compensatory time off. Investigators start looking at this and they say, your religious holidays that you're taking off don't seem to correspond to any religious holidays on any calendar but they sure do seem to line up with golf tournaments in the area. What's up with this? They brought the two guys in and asked them, do you believe that golf tournaments are a religious holiday? One of the guys said, well, could be for some people. God's name is mentioned a lot, right? <laughs> Proverbs 16:8. far better to be what? Right and poor than to be wrong and rich. Don't do it. It's, it's not only is it wrong, it's just, you're, it's not going to work out well for you. You don't want to advance yourself by taking other people's stuff. It's just not, it's not a good strategy. A few years ago, a guy who was a military veteran came back. He's now a college student and lived in Florida, went to go grocery shopping on a Saturday night, came home and immediately realized, oh no, I've lost my credit card. That feeling of panic. So he realized, I must have dropped it in the parking lot. So called the credit card company to cancel it. This is just moments after he left. And they said, well, we see that you were at Publix, whatever it was, but your card has just now been used at a pizza place in the same plaza. So they immediately dispatched the police there, and the police got there, and they found a guy waiting for two large pizzas with extra olives, 54-year-old Richard Lewis Ludwig, or as he is well better known, Dr. Richard Lewis Ludwig. Yeah, 54-year-old doctor using the credit card he found on the parking lot to pay for two pizzas. Bad life choice? Police ask him, so are you going through some financial difficulties? Why would you do this? I mean, other than you're sticking it to the credit card company. He, he, he started laughing when they asked him, you got financial trouble? He said, no, my net worth is between three and four million dollars. Why would you risk your your reputation? And then he's brought up on fraud charges and forgery charges. Just for $40 in pizza? Really? You think it's not gonna cost anything? You know, like, Anytime you are faced with a situation where it'd be very easy to benefit yourself by just grabbing something that's not yours, to, uh, you're gonna come ahead by just doing this deal, it's a little sketchy, it's a little unethical, it's a gray area, everybody does it, standard operating procedure in our industry. You feel like, well, I'm gonna be leaving easy money on the table if I don't just go ahead and do this. Just tell yourself, look, God doesn't need me to steal, cheat, lie, or commit fraud in order to bless me financially. He doesn't need you to do that. This is not how God wants you to get out of debt. This is not, oh, God was watching out for me today. No, that's not. The wisdom here is to tell yourself, I'm going to do the right thing in the right way every time, no matter what, no matter what everybody else around me does, no matter what, if everybody else, even if nobody else is gonna catch it, it's never gonna be detected. It's, look, you'll know and God will know. So here's the commitment I just wanna ask you to make. This is so foundational. I will not do something illegal, immoral, or unethical to improve my financial situation. 
it just won't work, and it's wrong. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you've got that whole other level there. We're trying to set an example of what's right and true and pure. But even if you take that off the table, I'm not going to steal other people's stuff. I'm not going to walk out of the library with the DVDs or the games or whatever that I don't belong to me. Take that off the table. There's still another way you can torpedo your finances. It's kind of at the other end of the spectrum. Over here, this is, I'm going to advance myself financially by taking your stuff. This foolishness says, I will advance myself financially by keeping all of my stuff. Now, some of you are giving me the look, like, what's wrong with that? It's my stuff. Why can't I keep it? Well, here's, let me just go ahead and take you to Proverbs 22. Actually, I've got this typed out wrong. It says Proverbs 22, 28, but this is 28, 22. So you can, you caught my mistake. I'm sorry. This is Proverbs 28, 22. It says this, the stingy are eager to get rich and unaware that, ironically, what? Poverty awaits them. The stingy. This is, this is a bad life choice. Don't use holding on to your own stuff. But I understand, though, that logically it seems like this would be a great choice. Like if I accumulate my, my stuff and I never give anything away, eventually I'm going to have a lot of stuff. And nobody ever actually says it in those blunt terms. Like, I'm just going to be selfish and stingy. I'm never going to get... No, we have a more subtle way of saying it that's a little more socially acceptable. You know, you think about it like, okay, if the plane was going down, you should put your own oxygen mask on first. And then, so what I'm just doing is I'm trying to get myself into a more stable financial situation. And then when I'm better off, then I can afford to be more generous with the people around me, which just sounds so good. Speaking of oxygen masks, though, it sounds more like this guy. I don't know if you remember this last year. There's a flight going to Hawaii that had to be diverted, and they had to make an emergency landing in Los Angeles because an old guy got into a fight with a flight attendant over a blanket. The cabin was cold, so he said to the flight attendant, can I get a blanket? And she said, sure, it's $12. And the Scottish part of me goes, $12 for a blanket? Oh, it better be gold trimmed. And so I kind of understand what he's saying, but he's like, I'm not paying $12, but you're giving me the blanket. And they got into a fight, and they landed the plane. I'm like, dude, you're going to Hawaii. I agree, $12 is exorbitant, but don't be so stingy. Just pay the money. Now, here's the thing with this. When you are tight-fisted and when you are ungenerous, let's just call it what it is. You're waiting until you get to a place where you got enough that you can afford to be generous. That time will never come. There will never come a point where you feel like, I've gotten enough now that I can be generous with other people. You've been accumulating, and here's what you're missing when you do that. All along the way, even when you don't think you're doing very well financially and you think it's a struggle every day, even at your worst financially, you are being blessed by God. And you don't think you are? Did the sun come up this morning? Turn around and look. Did you have air to breathe just a moment ago when you needed it? Do you live in the United States of America, the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world? Are you going to really tell me that God has not blessed you at all in any way? What God's saying is, here's all I'm asking. I'm constantly pouring blessings into your life. I just want you to keep some of it going. I don't want you to be a dead end. I don't want you to be closed-fisted and selfish because not just does the world... God could bless other people without us, but he doesn't like what it does to us when we just accumulate and hoard it all to ourselves and refuse to turn around and do for others on a smaller scale what God is doing for us 24-7, 365. We are so blessed. And as I'm talking, you might have a name that's popping into your head. You know somebody like this, don't you? You're maybe related to somebody like this, and you have to do holidays with them. You may be in the same house with somebody like this. 
You may look in the mirror at somebody like this from time to time. Here's the challenge. Look, I think really a lot of financial struggles are rooted here. Because the, the deeper issue here is not just do I have enough money or not. The issue is, am I greedy? Am I holding on to everything that God is giving me? Or am I being open-handed? We're going to dig into the solution about this one next week, so I don't want to go too much here, but I just want to give you a commitment to think about. The commitment is, I will not forego financial generosity to improve my financial situation. I'm going to take that option off the table. I'm not going to be closed-handed, no matter how far behind I am. Because, well, a few years ago, there was an all-you-could-eat buffet at a bank in northern India. Sounds a little odd. Here's what happened. So this was in the town of Barabanki. Bank manager went to the sealed steel vault, hermetically sealed, sealed as everything as secure as you can get, opened the vault, and found that termites had eaten 10 million rupees. The cash was just gone, just eaten. And it's like, you think, well, is that a lot? What's the exchange rate? Is it like five bucks? It was like a quarter of a million dollars. So this was a big deal. Inspectors got brought in. Turns out the bank had been having trouble with termites eating their furniture in the bank, which sounds odd to me. They were eating their documents, but they thought, well, the safe should be safe. Turns out it wasn't. Turns out that if you don't pay attention to your money, bad things can happen. And now, that literally happened in India. India and they, the, the guy got brought up on neglect charges, but I think how many times do our financial problems come back to this same kind of thing. We just weren't paying enough attention to the money that we've got, to our financial situation, which this is the other thing I would just encourage you to avoid in in terms of financial folly. You want to end undisciplined spending and neglectful oversight. Let me give you a proverb to tell you what I mean by that. This is Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit in the Blink of an eye, wealth disappears. It'll sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Now, what it's saying, sometimes your money can disappear, and it's not your fault. Tornado, not financial crisis in the, the, the whole country. There's times when it just goes. And you, but there are other times, aren't there, where the money goes, and everybody could see it except the person who lost the money? Like, we're all just waiting for the crash. <laughs> we all know this person's just not doing a good job of handling their money. And, you know, there's, sometimes these things happen, and it's not termites. There's nobody you can blame but yourself. I want you to think a minute for this, about this. All those stories about people who win the lottery and they win like a billion dollars, or the, the famous athletes who have millions of dollars, or the musicians, or the actors and actresses who have just tons of money, more than you can ever even imagine, more than you'll ever see in your lifetime. And then they do one of those where are they now follow-up stories that you find a few layers later. Like they blew through all of it. Right? It's just gone. All, everything's gone. The, the jets are gone. The cars are gone. The family is gone. The house, everything is just gone. And as Andy Stanley points out, we all ask ourselves two questions at this time. Number one, like where did it go, right? What happened? How could that happen? How can you lose almost a billion dollars? How do you, like, I'm just thinking through, how much would you have to spend every day to spend through the amount of money that some people blow through, right? Do you ever, aren't those stories fascinating? Just a, how did you spend that much money? And you know what the second question is that everybody asks, and you know the answer, you, you know this question. You can just go ahead and say it with me if you want. We all think, like, well, how did that happen? And then we also think, that would never happen to me. Right? Do you ever think that? Like, oh, give me the money. I'll show you what you need to do with a half a, million, a half a billion dollars, 
right? Because we all assume whatever they did, they were dumb. But if I were given that opportunity, I wouldn't do what they did. I wouldn't go there. I'd, I would, not, you know, like not on my watch. This is what Andy Stanley points out on this that I think everybody can acknowledge. People who had all that money and lost it, was that a lack of money problem that they had? Was that a financial problem? Or was that a spending problem? Was that a lack of discipline problem? What's really going on here? And so I, I think the same lesson that I would take away from me, because I would love to try, I would just like to have the opportunity. I'm one of those, I'll be, be honest with you. But I think if you can't handle money at this level, adding more money is not going to fix it. Like, I've got a financial problem. Just give me more money. No, all it's going to allow you to do, if you're not handling it well at this level, if you take yourself up to the millions of dollars level, all you're going to get to do is to, to fail on a more epic level. <laughs> Everybody gets to see it, not just your family and friends. So it's, it's not going to help you to get more money into your life if you're not handling money wisely to begin with and in a disciplined way. Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise, here's, here's what smart people do. The wise store up choice food and olive oil. But what do fools do? They gulp theirs down. The NIV says the fools spend whatever they get. What they're saying here is it is wise to have something tucked away in the pantry that you don't always eat. It's, it's a buffer between you and life because life happens. And the washing machine goes out and you need a tire and you're going to go to the ER. And here's the thing about Americans that I found, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. We've not only found a way to eat everything in the house, we figured out how to eat the food from a year from now. We know how to spend all our money, and we know how to spend our future money through debt, through credit cards, through loans. And so we're taking future income, and we're spending it now, which is not a winning strategy. It's why I just I was shocked at this. I saw this last week. 68% of all Americans fully realize or think that they are going to die in debt that I, I will not pay off my debt in my lifetime. Either absolutely sure or pretty sure that's not going to happen. You know, paying, it's just something we need to acknowledge, and I'm not telling you maybe something you don't know, but everything that we put on a credit card, every student loan debt, every car payment, whatever it is, it is a gravitational pull. I'm not saying that's bad. Sometimes you do use, uh, you know, credit as leverage to get you into something to a different stage of life, and there's maybe a proper use for it. But you need to recognize that it is a gravitational pull. And that it is pulling you away from true financial freedom when you owe somebody else something. And so when life happens and you've already extended yourself about as far as you can go, you have nowhere else to go but to put yourself further in the hole in a way that maybe you didn't even plan on doing. And so the money that you, you know, maybe even money that you tucked away for retirement, which is a whole different conversation, but you, you start having to pull money out of that, so it's so, no longer working for you, which is another related story. A whole lot of Americans just assume that they'll be working until the day they die. There's no such thing as retirement anymore, which is fine. It's fine if you want to do that, but not fine if you have to do that. I guess what I would just tell you is, and I believe me, I've been there, done that, but things will not change until you decide they need to change. So here's the commitment I would ask you to think about, that I will apply discipline and oversight to my financial situation. Great proverb that talks about this. Here's another thing that wise people do. Proverbs 27, 23, look at this. Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed on to the next generation. Okay. 
Is there a lot of wisdom there? You need to pay attention to the things that God has blessed you with, your finances in particular, as we talk about this today. You need to know the condition of your herds and your flocks because life happens. And I'm not a financial counselor. I don't even pretend to be one. I have learned a lot of things the hard way. So if you're thinking I'm talking down to you, boy, I am not. There's a lot of things I can just tell you. Here, here's what I did. Don't do that. But what I am saying is there's a whole lot of wisdom to saying, Maybe I need to do some things differently than I have so that I can have a different outcome. So here's what I'd like to do. This is just practical. And I'm going to ask you just some questions. These might be a little painful, but um, it's, think of it as painful like when the doctor starts poking. Does it hurt there? Does it hurt there? Does it hurt? Ooh, stop. If it hurts when I ask a question, that's your homework for this week. Okay, so go, you got to do this thing if this is some area where you haven't thought about this yet. Let me ask you this. Do you know what your income and your outflow is? Do you know exactly how much money comes in each month? And can you tell, tell me, or you don't have to tell me, just can you say, this is exactly how much I spend in a given month? If you don't know that, this is where you start. You've got your homework. You need to take a piece of paper. And starting today, you need to write down every single thing that you spend money on. And some of you are like, oh, I've got it in my head. No, 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 no. This, you have to write it down because there's some clarity that comes from seeing it on paper. And you write down everything. I paid the electric bill. I put gas in the car. Uh, I paid the house. Whatever. I, 89 cent refill at QT. The Diet Mountain Dew. You write that down. You write down everything. Nothing is too small to write down. And then you start adding it up. I would probably recommend, if you're going to do this, do it on a computer, do it like an Excel sort of ad for you, but write it down. And how much money came in? If some money comes in, you write it down. Here's where the clarity comes in. After a week or a month of doing that, and you go, hmm, we brought this much money in, and we spent this much money. And the next month, we brought this much money in, and we spent this much. Do you see a pattern? How will you ever get ahead if you're spending more than you make every month? But sometimes we just need to see it on paper to realize what we're doing to ourselves. You'll never get ahead until you get that reversed and you, you have a buffer, a margin between what I'm earning and what I'm spending. So there you go. Um, if you, do you have a budget? You don't have to shake your head, but uh, if you don't have a budget, first of all, step one helps you because you first got to know what you're spending money on so you can budget, which a budget is just a plan of how you're going to spend your money. You make up your mind ahead of time. Here's how much we're going to do for clothing, and then you compare it. Well, we said we'd spend this much on clothes, and we spent this much on clothes. Here's another question for you. Do you have an emergency fund? You know what that is, right? That's the, I don't touch it unless something really bad goes wrong. And really bad is not there's a sale at Kohl's that I've got my Kohl's cash expiring. And the emergency is that the washing machine went out. We're going to the ER, stitches. Okay, we've got it. We've got a buffer between myself and life so I don't have to dip into my retirement account or put it on the credit card at the, the interest rate that they're charging. And if you don't, if the, all this stuff, just Google Dave Ramsey and either just look online about what they've got or buy a book because you'll get a lot more help on, than I can give you. But these are just some of the basics. If you don't have an emergency fund, do you have a debt, get out a debt plan if you do know that you've got some issues? And, and So these are some things that will just maybe start moving you towards financial wisdom. These are some of the healthy practices that, that I have found helpful in my life, and I've watched other people find these to be helpful. So I've got one more level, and that's for some of us here you're doing pretty well financially. You, you've got a lot of these, maybe you've made some mistakes, you've got some scars, you've got some dings, but you figure some of this out. 
For those of you who are just at the very beginning step, I want you just to ignore me for a second, because otherwise what I'm about to say is gonna be like when you're in day one of Algebra 2 and you flip to the end of the book and you go, oh my gosh, what is that? Okay, so this may be you someday, but those of you who are doing well financially, you know that in seven years it's gonna be 2025? Can you believe that? I just remember Y2K was yesterday. It's gonna be 2025 in seven years. What would it be like for you in 2025? We just all get together and you go, I'm debt free. I don't owe any money on a car. I don't owe any money on a student loan. I don't owe any money on the house. It's paid for. I do not owe anyone anything. What would that feel like? To have that level of freedom that if somebody needed something, you can just do it? That every bit of money that comes in, you get to decide where it goes, and there's not someone who gets to go, okay, me first? Just a thought. Some of you today can write it down, put it in your calendar, and start to plan that seven years or sooner from now results in you saying, I don't owe anyone anything except my ongoing debt to love other people and my ongoing debt to God, and that's it. What would that be like? Here, here's why I'm just, I want to close this out. Just to, I really want you to feel like things can be better and things can be different from this point forward for you and your life. And, and the way you're going to do that is to get God involved. Just like any other area of your life, you get God involved in your finances, things can change like that. Things that would take us forever beyond our lifetime to fix, God can fix immediately. I've seen him do it with relationships and with addictions and with spiritual hangups. I've seen him do it with finances. When you give God control of your financial world and you invite his help in, it can just be a deal changer and it can change so many other things for the good. Just bring God into your life. And if there's other areas of your life that you would like to invite God in as well, this is a good time to do that. I'll just tell you, for me here personally in my life, this church has been an amazing blessing to me and my family. And God's doing great things here. And I'm really glad you're here to be part of that. I hope you'll just keep coming and keep leaning into what God's telling you. Even if it feels difficult, it feels like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Just keep coming anyway and thinking about it and thinking about what would it be like if God was involved in my life?